Let's open our Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. The Lord Jesus Christ told His apostles that there are four responses to the preaching of the gospel. One is you're not prepared nor focused. And the devil comes and snatches away the word lest it would settle into your mind and heart and bring changes in your life. He brings persecution, like the sun shining upon a plant with shallow root system, and it withers away and does not bring forth fruit. He brings prosperity, and it causes us to be entangled in the affairs of this life, and so we do not bear much fruit. Those who prepare themselves and come with a prayerful attitude and listen attentively, they can bear much fruit by the grace of God. And so the Lord Jesus Christ said, Take heed, therefore, how ye hear, because each of us is capable of hearing any one of those four ways. And if the truth be told, we've all heard the gospel those four ways in our lives. First Peter chapter 5 I have one sentence to read to you from verses 8 and 9. Be sober. Be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Whom resist steadfast in the faith knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. Amen and amen. Amen. We have already had read to us Revelation chapter 12, the middle part of that chapter. We have had read to us Genesis 3, the first six verses, Job 1 verses 6 through 12, Job 2, 1 through 8, 1 Chronicles 21, 1 through 6, and the third chapter of Zechariah's prophecy. For those that would like to have the same foundation that we have been blessed with this morning, I thank you men for reading the Word of God. That was a wonderful service that we've already had. Singing, praying, and hearing God's Word about the spiritual war that we are in. Let's look at our text, and we'll take the eighth verse. Be sober. The Christian life is far more serious than most teach, because a dangerous enemy seeks to destroy you. You are sober in this particular context when you realize that life is spiritually serious, not just carnally fun or easy or the victory won. We can sing victory in Jesus all day long, but Jesus sent His apostles to tell us, resist the devil. Resist the devil. Stand in all the armor of God. And having done all, stand. And in in that standing in that armor, we are to be praying with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. As Ephesians chapter 6 tells us, there's a warfare that we have a responsibility for. Jesus has won the ultimate victory, but we are left in this world, and if Satan pulls us down from the proper worship of God and the proper holy living of our holy Savior, then we disgrace 
the God who has saved us, we the children bring reproach upon His name, and it's the ultimate that the devil can do with us. He can't take our names out of the book of life, but can, he can make our names a reproach to the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter exhorted already in this epistle to sobriety in chapters 1 and chapters 4. He's used this word already. To be sober is to be grave, serious, solemn, indicating or implying a serious mind or purpose. Joel Osteen and Joseph Prince over in Singapore, they both have very similar ministries. They don't preach this warfare They don't preach it the way the Bible presents it. You're not going to hear in Houston today anything about this spiritual war and the real way of resisting it. Because the real way of resisting it is not falling back on the grace of God. The real way of resisting it is taking the grace of God and standing in all the armor that Jesus Christ has secured for us and being sober and vigilant and resisting that devil. He's looking around for those that don't resist because He can devour them. He will flee from those that resist. And it says He will flee. It doesn't say He will be, He will leave. It doesn't say He will be weakened. It says He will flee. Isn't that wonderful? Who has accomplished that victory for us? But the Lord Jesus Christ. Yet, Jesus Christ expects us to live for Him and against the devil. And that's what we want to be reminded of. So when it says be sober, most churches today aren't being very sober. They're out to get entertained. They're out to hear fables. They're out to feel good. They're out to be comfortable. They're out, we don't want to hear somebody preaching fire and brimstone to us. We don't want to hear about duty. Those are legalists. We just want to bask in the grace of God. Well, the grace of God leads us to a warfare. The Apostle Paul at the end of his life didn't say, I thank God for His grace. He said at the end of his life, I have fought a good fight. I have kept the faith. I have finished my course. Now, if you were to read the whole New Testament, he would say, everything that I did, I did by the grace of God. Yet, His grace was not bestowed upon me in vain, meaning that it is bestowed upon many in vain. I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. And it is that balance that we want to keep perfectly right. We do not want to err to the ditch of God's grace and become fatalists. And we don't want to err to the ditch of some charismatic Pentecostal, I've got the power, I've got the power. No, we don't. We're going to be in the crown of the road. The power is the Lord Jesus Christ. And some of those songs we sang were wonderful about He has the power. The Lord will provide. But that power, that power of the Holy Ghost in us is quenched when we sin and don't confess those sins and forsake them. And the person of the Lord Jesus Christ in us by His Spirit is grieved when we sin and don't repent of those sins. We are part of a great drama, my brethren. This one compound sentence that covers two verses describes a spiritual warfare for our souls. Not the book of life. Please don't make me say that, 
very many times. I'll say it to make sure that I'm clarifying your minds on the matter. But we don't want to be a disgrace to our king, our captain, and our father in heaven. We don't want to disrupt, destroy, denigrate, demote his kingdom on earth. We're at war. A powerful enemy seeks to destroy you. A foolish life, a lazy life, a slothful life will let the devil win in this matter of our practical salvation and our practical victory for the Lord Jesus Christ. We're creatures of flesh, bone, and blood. Flesh, bone, and blood is coursing through us. Because of that, we underestimate the spirit world. You know, we breathe the air. We can see smoke in the air. We see rain in the air. But there's something else in the air. The prince of the power of the air in this room. We breathe it. And it is serious business. They are not so weak and pitiful that they are bags of water walking around on two legs that can only be in one place at one time and can barely think of one little equation at one time. They were created far greater than that. And there's two camps, and we've had that read to us already. Michael and his angels, the devil and his angels, and there's been war in heaven, and the war is the war is coming to a conclusion, but let's be on the winning side officially. Let's be on the winning side formally. Let's be on the winning side practically by obeying the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and living for Him and resisting the devil, and He will have to flee from us. Let's pray for a hedge about this church, about your family, and about your marriage, and about, when I say about, I mean around your soul, but let's also resist the devil. While the Lord puts up the hedge, let's fear God and eschew evil and do righteousness like Job did for the maximum benefit and glory of God. That's our goal. The air is not just for breathing. It holds created spirits, good and bad, and they're always near us. We want to remember what Jesus did for us legally, vitally, practically, and finally. He will cast them all and we will cast them with Him into the lake of fire for torment forever and ever. We shall judge angels. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. By learning and holding Bible truth steadfast, we make war against a devil who is committed to lying. He has lied from the beginning. If you heard our young brother Joel read Genesis 3 and his comments before that reading, which were excellent, he reminded us that the devil went against the Word of God. And if Eve, if Eve had just held to the Word of God without letting it slip, without letting him question it, without letting her alter it from eating of the fruit of that tree to touching it, she altered it, to him outright denying it, and then she considering that, you know, the devil's way of doing things might be more attractive to the eyes, more attractive to the taste, and give me a blessing that I haven't received yet. And she did it. And the devil operates that way. We want to hold Bible truth and not move on it. He's moving everyone else. 
You know, most Christians today have gotten rid of the place that he's going to. He knows where he's going, but he's lying to people so that they won't know where they're going. They don't even believe that it exists anymore. He knows he's going there. You know, the Bible doesn't tell us exactly what's going on in his perverse mind. Because he knows he's defeated, yet he keeps fighting. But do you know how evil sin is? And how terrible pride is? You can't stop fighting. He keeps on fighting. Why doesn't he run in repentance? Doesn't he know that some of the most pitiful creatures on earth, especially your pastor, have found repentance at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ? Why doesn't he run and do that? Because he's so full of pride and rage, he will not. Sin is terrible. And if we let it have a toehold in our lives, it will grow and destroy us like it does him, like it did Judas Iscariot and so many others in the pages of Holy Scripture. We're part of a great drama that transcends anything you've ever imagined naturally. Be vigilant, it says. The Christian life has a dangerous enemy seeking to destroy, and it needs to be guarded against. Vigilance is a wakeful and watchful attitude, keeping steadily on the alert, attentively or closely observant. That's what it means to be vigilant. The Bible word is watching. We want to be watching. We want to be watching for our enemy. We want to be watching for changes. We want to be watching for compromise. We want to be watching for inroads into our lives. We want to be watching for things that are taking us away from true Bible Christianity. Peter exhorted them already to be watching. Back there in chapter 4 and verse 7, it, it may be on the same page. The end of all things is at hand. Look at Peter. The end of all things is at hand. Be therefore sober and watch unto prayer. We need to be vigilant. We have an enemy that wants to destroy us, so we need to be alert and looking and critical and watching so that he does not get an advantage of us. You're vigilant when you're alert and you're examining your life to avoid any openings to the threat. You know, in a life and death struggle of war in this world, a sleepy sentry can cost many lives. You can't sleep when you're on your post. So the Bible says, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. Amen. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 14. Christians do not have the luxury of resting. Now we rest in the gospel in that works for eternal life are done. So we've entered into his rest. But there isn't rest in the practical phase of salvation until we're dead. Isaiah chapter 57 verses 1 and 2 tell us that when a righteous man dies young, no one takes it to heart and figures out exactly what's going on. And what's going on is that God has taken them out of trouble in this world so that they can lie on their beds and rest. Because in heaven there is rest and peace beyond any rest or peace on earth. Christians, we don't have that luxury. We have to be vigilant. We have to deny ourselves. We have to be temperate and disciplined, watchful, sober, serious, solemn, grave, committed, forceful, denying, cutting off, putting, mortifying, putting to death our flesh while we're here in this world. The battle cry for vigilance needs to be raised. 
Because your adversary, the text tells us, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary. You have an adversary. An adversary is one who takes up a position of antagonism or acts in a hostile manner. It's an opponent. It's an antagonist. It's an enemy. It's a foe. And the good old Oxford English Dictionary says, especially the enemy of mankind, the devil, when it defines the word adversary. Especially the enemy of mankind, the devil. Adversary, you have an enemy. Either the enemy is in this room, or he has emissaries in this room, or in the parking lot, going through your car. They're not omniscient. They're not omnipresent. There's just a whole lot of them. They don't have to turn your radio on to find out what it's set at. They know these things. They're in your bedroom. The Bible says that when you don't have sex as frequently as you should have sex, in 1 Corinthians 7, 1 through 5, Satan can tempt you for your incontinency. Satan can only be in one place at a time. So how can Satan tempt you for your incontinency? Because it's reported to him by a whole host and horde of cohorts of his that are the devils of hell and the fallen angels with him who go to and fro in the earth and report on the doings of what takes place here. The Bible speaks of angels beholding whether a woman has long hair or not. Because a woman is supposed to have an a symbol of power on her head by having long hair. That's 1 Corinthians 11. And it says the angels watch women to see if they recognize the importance of having long hair. And 1 Corinthians 11 teaches that women should have long hair and men should have short hair. Angels see things. They're around us. You know, we take great comfort in the fact that the angel of the Lord encampeth round about those that fear Him and delivereth them. But at the same time, we've got to remember that there are evil angels operating in the world as well with the same abilities. And when it comes to the devil with greater abilities, there's only one way that Michael can defeat the devil. Did you hear Jonathan read the words from Zechariah chapter 3? The Lord rebuked thee. When Michael and the devil wrestled and fought for the body of Moses, what could Michael say to the devil? The Lord rebuke thee. I love our God, Jehovah. He has created a drama. What's the best drama you've ever read or watched on television? It is nothing in comparison to this drama. He has created his own opponent, and he made him as high as he could. And then he made one of us higher than him. You know, that's where we're going to end up today. We're going to end up today sitting at a feast, commemorating and remembering the stronger man. And what the gospel is glorious. The gospel is wonderful. The good news and glad tidings of good things that have come to our ears. We get to read the history of the world. We we read about creation. We read about that tree. We read about that serpent. We read about the first parents. We read about them being naked. We read about them being ashamed of their nakedness. We read all, we know the history of the world. We know the 6,000 year history that's occurred so far. We know what's about to take place. We know the outcome. We know the victory. We know how it was done. And he's on our side. 
as we sang. The man that is on our side. You know, when we say that word man like that, it has a capital M. We all know that, right? The capital M man. Like it says in 1 Timothy 2.5, there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. God couldn't be a mediator. Paul taught that in the book of Galatians. God can't be a mediator to Himself. He raised up the Lord Jesus Christ to be a mediator. A stand-in between God and us. And He's our brother. And He loves us. He will never forsake us. Our names are inscribed in the palm of His hand and our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. He stands at the right hand of God. He sits at the right hand of God. Take your pick. And He is coming again. And He is going to cast the devil and His angels into the lake of fire that was prepared for the devil and his angels, according to Matthew 25 and verse 41. An adversary. There are lots of adversaries described in the Bible like the Canaanites were to the Israelites, like David was to the Philistines, and they knew that, that he was their adversary, like Haman was to Esther. That's an adversary, an enemy that wants to destroy you. Satan, the word Satan, the word devil, include in their meaning both adversary and slanderer. It's a very, very interesting words. Adversary and slanderer. Because that's what they do. That's what they did against Job. That's what Satan did against Job in the Lord's presence. I, I, lo- I love all those passages that we had read to us. I'm sorry if Zechariah 3 may have cost you. All that was was a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ coming and the redemption of His church under figurative language by Zechariah. Just like Haggai's prophet prophecy. Those two prophets, Haggai and Zechariah, were the last two prophets before Malachi that were sent to encourage the regathered Jews to rebuild the temple. And they encouraged the regathered Jews to rebuild the temple, who had already been delivered from Babylon. So that great part of their recovery was already history, but it was to stir them up by what was coming. And that is that they would be delivered by the branch. Was it was it in all caps in your King James Bible? The branch. Yes. Lord, I love your word. The branch. And that iniquity would be put away in how many days? One day. It would be put away. And every man should, would rest under his fig tree and under his vine. Because the victory would be won. Just figurative language describing our victory in Christ Jesus. Satan and devil. You know, Satan's been cast out of heaven. He can no longer accuse the brethren there. Because who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Romans 8.33 The elect have had all their sins put away by the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the five phases of salvation as we understand them have some reality in the fact that though God knew Jesus was going to put away all the sins of His elect, it wasn't until He actually did it that that new song arose in heaven that we were redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, and that Satan was cast out. Because there's a formality to things, even in the sight of God. And that is the actual sacrifice Jesus made in the cross. But the devil can no longer be our slanderer in heaven. He just slanders us to ourselves. By throwing his fiery darts at your heart and telling you that God hasn't saved you, your sins are too great, you can't live up to the standard of righteousness of the Bible, And you're supposed to hold up the shield of faith and quench those fiery darts of the wicked by believing the promises of God. 
Let's consider very quickly some diabolical deeds and intents of this adversary we have. And some of them have been read to you. Why, why would the devil go into the Garden of Eden and ruin a perfect world and a perfect husband and wife in love with each other? Why? A destroyer. And if God made it, I'll mess it up. If God likes it and says it's good, I'll make it bad. If He likes the worship of this church, I'll pervert it until it makes Him angry. The cruelty. We hadn't done anything to the devil, had we? The cruelty. The viciousness. The ravening lion. God makes a perfect husband and wife. They're rejoicing, walking with God in the cool of the evening, eating of the fruit of every tree of the garden, including the tree of life. Why? Think about how diabolical he is. He is set on destroying. Abaddon in Hebrew, Apollyon in Greek. Revelation 9 and verse 11. When the Bible gives us Hebrew and Greek and tells us so, that's when you hear it from this pulpit. And not really until. Because I thank God for our English Bibles and their use of Satan and devil. Listen, just going back and reading about the, uh, the origin of our English word devil out of the diabolus Latin and so forth. It's just a, it's just a great word. The fiend of evil in the world. Yeah. Okay. That sounds right. Diabolical. Look what he did in the Garden of Eden. How many were involved? What's the population of the world since Adam and Eve? 50 billion? How many? Diabolical, evil, fiendish, destructive, destroyer. And he wants to do that to you. He's your adversary, walking about, seeking whom he may devour. And he devoured our first parents. He didn't eat them. The snake did not swallow them. He was, he was not a python that swallowed them. He didn't devour them that way. He got them to sin. When you sin, the devil has devoured you for the moment. But do you know what you can do? If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that's something the devil never gets, is forgiveness of sins. But we do. Because Jesus died for us and not for Him. He took David. Did you hear Brother Eric read those words about David? Lord God, have mercy upon us and do not turn us over to Satan. God let Satan have David because God had an argument against Israel. If you go read 2 Samuel 24.1, you'll have the corresponding passage to that 1 Chronicles 21 and verse 1. The Lord let Satan have David. How long did it take? for David to sin so terribly. Do you know how many men they had? Did you, did you read those monster numbers? I love Joab in this particular case. Right. Joab wouldn't obey his uncle. And he left out two tribes because he knew it was wrong. And he tried to stop David. Can the devil really do that to a person that fast? The man after God's own heart? So that you're the captain of your host, Joab, who's not that holy of a man, 
comes and gives you a very holy argument and reminds you that it is wrong to number Israel and that numbers don't matter with God and that what if God were to make you a hundred times bigger than you are now, it still wouldn't make any difference. And do you know that what you're doing is going to bring God's judgment upon the nation? It's going to be very costly. I mean, these are all very good reasons in one verse. And David just blows them off. How can you blow off the preaching of God's word? Because when Satan gets a hold of you, he snatches away the word before it can affect your heart and your mind. If our gospel be hid, the Bible says it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. Diabolical. How how many lives did it cost? That little event. 70,000. Through David. As soon as the 70,000 were dead, did God rescue David from Satan? Yes, he did. I cut off the reading or we'd be here all day. Now listen, I'd be, I'd be happy to be here for a while reading scripture like those men read to us. Right. But if you read the next verses, David immediately confessed as soon as the Lord rescued him from the clutches of the devil and he ran to Mount Moriah and offered a sacrifice and that angel sheathed his sword, but 70,000 were dead. The devil was laughing because 70,000 were dead. David was crying because he had been the cause. But it was God having an occasion against Israel. Who in here wants to be used by God to punish his people? I don't want to be used by God to punish his people. Is Satan able to raise armies in the world? How'd the Sabians come against Job? Can the devil influence the weather? Could he bring a whirlwind? Does the devil operate above building codes? Can he cause a house to fall in on its occupants? Have you read the first two chapters? Does he operate with thieves? Do they come and steal at his bidding? Did everything Job have get ripped away from him in a matter of minutes? Because while one servant was giving him the report, the next one was arriving? Now that's because God let him do that. I love Job 1 and 2. And they were very important to me, an event a long time ago in my life that I referred to to you last week. Because all those evil deeds, even Satan knew that God was doing them. So much was God in charge of those events that Satan himself had to admit, put forth thine hand, put forth thy hand and touch his flesh. Satan can't do anything without God's permission and God's granting of that power. Satan can't even run into a herd of swine and drown them in the sea without begging for permission. I love my Creator God and Savior Jesus Christ. And though on earth, in humility, they had to ask, may we go into the swine and get leave of my captain, who is our brother, who has a flesh and bone and Blood existence in heaven because he was made after our nature, not after their nature. But look what he did to Job. And then his wife, Job's wife said, why do you retain your integrity? Curse God and die. That is like this. It's not worth serving the Lord. I just lost my baby. I just lost my baby. It's not worth serving the Lord. Don't you women ever talk like that. You're like one of the evil women. 
That wasn't your baby. Who do you think you are? That's God's baby. The Lord gave and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not charge God foolishly, but worshipped. The angels are involved in the movements of pagan governments, as Daniel chapter 10 teaches us. What about the poor Gadarene? What was wrong with that man? Naked. They couldn't chain him. He lived in the cemeteries. He was cutting himself. Why does a man go crazy like that? How many devils did he have in him? Jesus asked the name of the devil that was the speaker through his vocal cords, and he said, My name is Legion, for we are many. Listen to this. This is not fairy tale time. This is reality. What is your name? I don't want to tell you. Did the devil say that? (laughs) Not to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. My name is Legion, for we are many. I'll I'll tell you why I'm named Legion here in this guy. What does it take for a man to get in his right mind? For the Lord Jesus Christ to rip the devils out of him. Amen. That man was then in his right mind. You know what he wanted to do? He wanted to be with Jesus. Amen. Jesus said, I have to go. I have others to preach to on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. They got in their ship and that man begged, Lord, can I go with you? And Jesus said, go home to thy family and thy friends and tell them what great things the Lord hath done for thee. Amen. And go read the account. The gospel was published out of Decapolis and spread. That's a big change, isn't it? From living in the tombs and cutting himself and crying out to spreading the gospel. Anybody in here have a change? I thank God through Jesus Christ, my Lord. A woman, forget the woman, I'm not to her yet. A lunatic son, he cuts himself He often throws himself in the fire, the father said. Your disciples couldn't heal him. Oh, ye of little faith. Come here and I'll heal him. And Jesus healed the lunatic's son. And he said, this kind goeth not out but by prayer and fasting. I've preached it to you before. When you face an enemy that is monstrous, you don't know how to win. There's no progress. Fasting and prayer. This kind goeth not out, but by fasting and prayer. It's Matthew seventeen twenty one, And you won't find it in the NIV, the ESV, or any of the other Vs, except the KJV. I wonder, and I've asked this question before, I wonder who would not want that verse in the Bible. You get three guesses and the first two don't count. Who would not want that verse in the Bible telling you that extreme cases of lunacy by a son need prayer and fasting? Why did swine run down a steep place into the sea and drown themselves? The destroyer. A woman was bowed over 18 years by a spirit of infirmity from Satan. Satan wanted Peter, and the Lord allowed it, For a short period of time, he said, I've prayed for you, and when thou art converted, strengthen your brethren. But in the meantime, do you know how far and fast he fell? In a few hours, 
he completely reversed his entire confession of faith and profession of what he would do for the Lord Jesus Christ and denied with cursing and oaths the ever knew Jesus of Nazareth. So when this little man, this poor man, opens the Bible and finds a book named 1 Peter, and I read verse 5, 8, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary... I think about, did Peter know anything about his adversary? If Peter had been sober, he wouldn't have promised the Lord something he couldn't perform. If Peter had been vigilant, he would have not promised something he couldn't perform. He was too impulsive, too impetuous. And the Bible records it for our learning. The Bible tells us that Satan entered into Judas Iscariot and he went and conspired with the Jews for Jesus Christ to betray him for 30 lousy pieces of silver. Satan took the covetous couple, Ananias and Sapphira. They were great church members. They gave a huge offering to the Lord. But they didn't give all of it. They kept 10%. We don't know what percent it was. They kept 25% back for themselves. They kept 50, I don't know. And they came and said, this is, the, this is the proceeds of the land. Like Joseph, who is called Barnabas, sold his land in Cyprus and brought it to your feet. We've sold our land, and here's the proceeds. Who did that? Satan did that. Peter immediately, by the power of the discernment of the Holy Ghost, said, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost? In the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't you think because you're a church member that you're outside His reaches. This, these verses are, read to, are, are written to church members. Resist whom resist. James would write, resist the devil and he will flee from you. It's serious business. He went after the Apostle Paul with a thorn in the flesh that the Lord was able to use for Paul's humility and to to demonstrate the grace of Christ better. There is power in the air that greatly affects men and leads them against Christ. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, Fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. The Holy Spirit chooses the word of wrestling to describe our fight with the devil. The devil is a created spirit, which means he's the potter's clay for God's own personal pleasure. However, he was created with intelligence and power far greater than any or all men, but for the Lord Jesus Christ. He is an evil spirit that was allowed to introduce evil into the universe for God's glory. He likely knows you better than you know yourself, and he knows the buttons that he can push to mess with you. Because all he has to do is observe you, and he's more intelligent to analyze more thoroughly than you're able to analyze yourself. But there's someone that knows you better than that. And that's my Lord Jesus Christ, who can separate between soul and spirit and between the joints and marrow, and nothing is hid to His eyes. And He's all-loving and all-merciful, and He forgives my sins and cleanses me from all unrighteousness. 
He's known in the Bible as Satan, the old serpent, Beelzebub, the prince of the devils, the devil, the great dragon, Abaddon, Apollyon, prince of this world, god of this world, prince of the power of the air, that wicked one, Lucifer, and so forth. He is a murderer and a liar. He is the very opposite of our blessed Lord Jesus Christ, in whom mercy and truth were met together and kissed together. Psalm 85 and verse 10. John 8, 44 says, Ye are of your father the devil. He was a murderer from the beginning. The Bible tells us, And, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of lying. The father of it. He's a liar and a murderer. So we want to hate anything that is contrary to truth. And we want to hate anything that is contrary to love, mercy, gentleness, and forgiveness. Because they are his devices. That's what he likes to work on. He likes to lie and he likes to kill. And so we want to be against both of those things in resisting him. When we detect hate, strife, or anything false, we know what spirit we're dealing with. Look at James chapter 3, and I'm thankful for these verses, and I've told you why. I was a wild, rebellious, hateful, wicked, evil teenager. And I remember these Baptist pastors one night that laid these verses on me, and I, I remain thankful for them. James 3, 14, But if ye have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, if you just have something bubbling inside of you that resents, that hates, that won't forgive, that won't find peace, that won't show mercy, that doesn't want to embrace and love others who have offended you, if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not. Don't get excited thinking you're a man of principle. You're not a man of principle. You're a man of pride. And you're the devil's little pawn. Keep those two P words in mind. But if ye have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not. And lie not against the truth. Because here's the truth. This wisdom, this kind of living, this lifestyle, these thoughts, descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy, and the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. Notice the difference. There is a liar and a murderer, and there is a peacemaker and a gentle person. And we want to be like this and not like this. And we want the difference to be great, like it is between Jesus Christ and the devil. He is the devil, our adversary. Do not lie or glory in envying or bitterness or strife. It's from the devil of hell. He's the God of this world and he blinds reprobates to God and his gospel. Here's an abbreviated timeline just briefly for you. He was created before Adam. Likely before the days of creation. In a holy condition. The Bible tells us that when the foundation of the world was laid. This is Job chapter 38, the first seven verses. When the foundation of the world was laid, the morning stars saw it and cried with joy. The angels were already there. He was a high and mighty angel, maybe the highest, similar to Michael the archangel. Archangel is a chief angel, great angel. He sinned by pride and was cast down from his official duties in heaven at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Jesus said, if I be lifted up from the earth, then the devil's going to be judged and be cast into the earth. In John chapter 12, verse 31. Our Lord destroyed sin, so he was confined to the earth, as we read in Romans, Revelation chapter 12. He was further bound at the first coming of the Lord Jesus Christ with a chain in the bottomless pit from deceiving all nations as he had before. Before the Lord Jesus Christ came, all Gentile nations were locked up in pagan idolatry. After the Lord Jesus Christ came and Revelation 20 took place, where a strong angel came down from heaven and bound the devil with a chain and cast him into the lake of fire. Devils don't get bound by chains. This is metaphorical language for the devil being restricted in certain of his activities. And those that were born again, those that had the first resurrection, lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. That thousand years is as figurative as anything else in the book of Revelation. It describes the period of time from Jesus Christ's first coming to His second coming. That thousand year period of time, that indefinite long period of time, those that are born again live and reign with the Lord Jesus Christ. Because the devil has been held back from being able to deceive the nations. So the gospel went into all the nations. And we have friends that believe the gospel in those nations. And we shouldn't be thinking of America as a Christian nation because just a few hundred years ago, you know, the only people on this North American continent were smoking themselves all winter with buffalo chips in a tent and worshiping the Great Spirit and wanting to go to the happy hunting ground where they could hunt buffalo for the rest of their eternal existence. So don't think of America as being anything special. The gospel came to America. You were born in America because the gospel exploded and went worldwide. Jesus told Peter, upon this rock, and this rock being Jesus Christ is the Son of God, upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And the gospel went everywhere. Well, while Jesus was alive, he said the gospel is only for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But remember, after he rose from the dead, he gathered his apostles together and he said, there's going to be power coming down from heaven on you. This is Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, Luke chapter 24. And I want you to be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem. That's real small. Then in Judea. Then in Samaria. And unto the uttermost parts of the earth. Because Satan was bound from deceiving the nations. But Revelation 20 goes on to tell us that as we get near the end of that period of time between the first and the second coming of Jesus Christ, Satan will be loosed from the bottomless pit to go out and to deceive the nations one more time. That is to get all the nations of the world united together against the saints of God. And they will come up and encompass the camp of the saints. Forget tents. Forget howitzers. 50 cal sniper rifles, or anything else. This is the camp of the saints. This is a camp of the saints. The world will unite a final time against us, and the Lord Jesus Christ will be revealed from heaven, in which we're told in the 10th verse of that chapter that will be read to you shortly, he will be cast into the lake of fire for eternal torment that was prepared for him. The lake of fire was prepared for the devil and his angels. Wicked men just happened to get there along with them but it was prepared for them because the first sinners in the universe were the devil and his angels. He's called a roaring lion. You know, a lion is powerful, king of beasts, 
as many call them, overpowering, ravening, vicious, cruel, heartless, fatal, confident, bold, roaring like a lion, a roaring lion, seeking its meat. The Bible throughout the pages of Scripture describe a lion seeking its meat, gaining its prey as roaring in its victory. And this roaring adversary we have is described as a roaring lion in this passage of Scripture walking about to take advantage of us. He's most anywhere and everywhere by moving himself or reports from his devils. Remember, God said to him in Job 1 and Job 2, Where have you been? I've been going to and fro in the earth. I've been going up and down in the earth. That activity of his hasn't changed. He can no longer deceive the nations like he did in the abject darkness that the Gentile nations lived in, but he can circulate in the earth and do everything to us. He can't gain access to heaven any further to accuse us to the Lord because our sins have been paid for by the stronger man, Jesus Christ. However, he can come after us, and thus we have 1 Peter 5, 8, that he's walking about seeking whom he may devour, and we, the Christians of the New Testament era, need to be sober and vigilant because he can get us. So we resist the devil, we take the whole armor of God and stand against him. Throughout the pages of Scripture, we find him all over the place. Jesus is out in the wilderness after his baptism. Who shows up? How does he know? He shows up to tempt our Lord. You know if he's in your bedroom and can tell if you're being incontinent or that you're going to be, that you could be tempted for your incontinency, then he's everywhere. He knows what you watch on television. He knows what music you listen to. He knows who your friends are. He sees what you get mad about. He sees what irritates you. And he just keeps pushing those buttons until you resist him. He knows your buttons. And see, God's told you how to get rid of him so that he can't touch your buttons. So if you don't follow God's advice, like taking the whole armor of God in Ephesians 6, like resisting the devil in James chapter 4, like being sober and vigilant right here, then he can push your buttons. He can watch what you get excited about. He can watch your eyes. You know, husbands, when your wife spots you looking at another woman? you Oh, okay. You know, see, the devil's able to do that. But the devil can operate at a far better level than your wife can. He knows what you do in private. This is what the Bible tells us. From hair length on women to how frequently you're having sex in your marriage. To where Jesus is after his baptism. When he was out where there was no one else. Seeking whom he may devour. Satan's agenda, his desire, his intentions are the destruction of God's kingdom and God's people. He will take advantage of any soul that lives, leaves him an opening if God permits him to or their foolishness allows him to. We want to do a couple of things. We want to pray in this church that God will put a hedge about us like he did Job. We want to pray in this church that God will not turn us over to Satan like he did David or Peter. We want to ask the Lord Jesus Christ to pray for us. That when Satan desires to have us and to sift us as wheat, that Jesus will pray for us and deliver us from him. And that we will not be need to be converted because we have departed from Christ, but that we will not depart from Christ, but remain faithful. Not for our pride, not for our honor and glory, and not because we have professed 
that we would never depart from Him. I hope this church is wise enough to say, if it weren't for the grace of God, I am capable of departing from the Lord Jesus Christ and following any false man-made religion. I hope that we'll say that and we'll say it and believe it. Because take heed if you think you stand because you're about to fall. 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 12. He'll take advantage of any soul. Lord, help us. He's not looking for those that resist Him, for He flees them. He's looking for carnal, lazy, worldly-minded, laid-back, I'm-just-tired kind of Christians. Listen, the Lord will give you strength. Just do a little bit of resisting. Take a little bit of courage, and the Lord will strengthen your heart. Did you hear that recently from Psalm 72? Psalm 27, verses 13 and 14. We need to take courage, resist the devil, pray for the Lord. Wednesday night, I can tell you what we're going to do. We are going to pray for the Lord to do some warfare for us in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ against the devil in our children, in our marriages, in our homes, in our church, in our health. Listen, when there's a woman bowed over for 18 years because of a devil, do you think, what's a doctor going to do with a spirit that's bowed a woman over for 18 years? Oh, we've got a shot for that. Come over here. Bend over and show me that cheek. We've got a shot for that. No, they don't have a shot for that. You say, that's in the Bible. That's just in the Bible. Yep. I'm here to preach the Bible to you. I was saved from lunacy. I pray for your children to be saved from lunacy. I'd be happy to lead a service on Wednesday evening that prays for your children to be saved from lunacy. And you to be saved from lunacy. And me. I don't want to be the cause of God's judgment on you by leading this church astray. I don't want you to be a cause of judgment in your family by leading your family astray. And God having a trespass against your family because of you. All these things let's pray for on Wednesday evening. So we have 1 Peter 5, 8. Be sober. Be vigilant. Because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. The king of beasts, wandering through the jungle, looking for someone that does not resist him, someone that doesn't run with the herd, someone that wants to play on the edges, he'll devour you. We have the final and ultimate victory in the Lord Jesus Christ, and we can have victory every day in our lives personally by his power and strength if we will resist the devil and stand in the armor that he has purchased for us and put in our armory and told us how to put it on and what activity to be involved in when we have it and what position to take. We don't go fight the devil. We just stand. And in the evil day, we're able to stand because of the might and power of God with us. It's all wonderful as long as we will obey the the commands of Scripture and this verse and its warning to us. It's wonderful gospel that we have. All glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Amen.